Alright folks, I'm going to read another chapter from Professor Hudson's new book, Destiny of Civilization. I'm going to read chapter 10. Dollar Hegemony, the privilege of creating paper gold. Imagine that you could go to the store to buy groceries, eat out in restaurants, pay your rent, and buy automobiles and furniture simply by writing IOUs to the sellers. People cannot do this in practice because nobody would accept their IOUs for long unless they had legal recourse to seize the income and property of whomever has signed the promissory note as banks do when they make loan agreements. But what if the grocery store or other businesses just accepted your IOU and indeed paid their suppliers partly with it, circulating it like real money? That is the kind of free monetary ride that the United States enjoys in its foreign relations. Most of the excess dollars that its military and civilian economies spend abroad end up in foreign central banks. Foreign exporters receiving these dollars exchange them at their central banks for their own domestic currency to conduct their business. <clears throat> the central banks have no real recourse other than to recycle these dollars by purchasing U.S. Treasury IOUs. So that's why I always wondered, like, people who ch exchange money, the dollars especially, uh, like, what do they do with it later? Okay, so, U.S. Treasury IOUs. They are not permitted to use their dollar inflows to buy the commanding heights of the U.S. economy. OPEC countries, for instance, have been told that they can use their su surplus dollars to buy into the U.S. stock market as, as junior partners but not to buy any real control over vital U.S. assets. It's like, you know, when you go to one of those, uh, fucking, uh, it's like the gaming, the gaming lounges or back in the day where you would go pay for however many coins or whatever. And then when you'd win stuff, you'd win those tickets, remember? look like the old film ticket thingies that would come out of the machines so you'd collect those and depending on how many points or tickets you collected you could go exchange those for whatever except over here it's like the US dollar is um, that little ticket thingy and the only thing you can buy <laughs> with those tickets is U.S. Treasury I IOUs. <laughs> like, what a rigged game, huh? <laughs> Who wants to play this? Who wants to play at this, um, at this uh, gaming place when right across, <laughs> right across is another one where you have much more options on what you can buy with those tickets. Okay. <clears throat> Every empire in history has drawn money and resources into itself from its dependencies. This power always, yeah, the, the that's basically what China's trying to do right now. This power always has been backed by military force, and most of the tribute has been spent on this military force. America's 750 foreign military bases around the world are 
in this tradition requiring foreign financing, while its domestic military industrial complex is the major drain on the domestic treasury budget. So they set up like a <clears throat> system that's supposed to like basically cheat, but reality is if you have 50 hot dogs, you have 50 hot dogs. You can't say you have 500 hot dogs on paper and then assume things will take care of itself in the real world. Like, that's not how it works. What sustains this military power is U.S. control of the international financial system, giving it a free ride and enabling it to spend over $1 trillion annually to field military operations that would collapse the exchange rate of any other nation, and which indeed drove the dollar off gold in 1971. Once again, it's what's, what's, it was something kinder, mckinder or something, where basically the world, the world island, <clears throat> and whoever basically rules that island, basically. So it's basically the Silk Road. The Silk Road is coming back again. Basically, if you made like a copy of the world map okay with sand or dirt and then filled water into the area where you know we have water and <clears throat> just let some ants loose onto the mainland the that area and then see this and then see what happens see how the ants would go see where they would this this is what I'm saying. Ants or bacteria. It's it's just the natural flow of things based on geography. There's nothing you could do about it. This was changed within the past few few. Let's say okay, fine. I'll give it. A, I'll give it five hundred years. How about that? That was changed to all the trade routes basically. Land and sea was changed. The natural way was changed. Once the Ottoman Empire fell, and then the Western countries, mostly England and America, uh, completely diverted these trade routes using fossil fuels, <laughs> using fossil fuels to go against the the flow of the tide, against the river, the natural flow of the river, to take these goods to just the Western worlds to benefit them. For a cheap price, while the rest of the world <clears throat> sucked dick. So they did all this by controlling the thing that you exchanged for the goods, which is the US dollar. And they print it as much as they want, they control the flow of it, which is the Federal, Federal Reserve. And yeah, this is how America, well, also, obviously, with the over seven, 800 bases around the world, military bases, control the it, the natural flow of things. It's just you, and and then now they're not, and then now they're trying to milk the whole. It's just when will they stop? When does it stop, man? When will the adults come into the room, slap the shit out of these bastard Joffrey? motherfuckers these immature joffrey motherfuckers slap the shit out of them so shut the fuck up sit the fuck down where the fuck are the adults man hmm? 
Where the fuck are the adults? Despite its widening balance of payments deficit beginning with the Korean War in 1950, yeah, the Korean War is what bankrupted America, took them off the gold standard, and the, all this bullshit started. Why were they in, Why were they uh, at war with Korea? Go look it up. Why? Why did America... In 1950, and accelerating with its subsequent military spending on the Vietnam War, U.S. diplomacy has been able to retain its financial domination over the world economy. No longer by its power as the world's major creditor, but as its largest debtor. The dollars, yeah, it's America is the movie Apocalypto. The, the tribe that went around just capturing other tribes. Uh, they just do it differently now. But it's the same concept. Okay. The dollars that the U.S. government and private investors spend abroad to pay for America's military and economic encirclement of the world pile up as monetary reserves in foreign central banks, whether countries want these dollars or not, and despite a rising concern about the U.S. military adventurism that these dollar outflows finance. <clears throat> this financial arrangement is what makes America the exceptional economy. <laughs> Such words they pick, man. When other countries run deeply into debt, the IMF and bondholders bring financial pressure to dictate their, econ their economic policy privatize their natural resources and public enterprises, and impose austerity on their labor force. <coughs> but U.S. officials have always rejected foreign attempts to dictate its domestic or for foreign policy. In being, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take the world to realize what's going on, that the Pope is behind all this bullshit. The Catholics, they don't allow contraception or abortion the pope needs more soldiers for christ like when the fuck will we realize what the fuck is really going on? they're still talking about biden and trump man these fuckers are puppets man my goodness when the fuck will we realize who the fuck is actually pulling the strings it's the godfather even fucking noam chomsky himself is saying the godfather what did Jordan Maxwell say? Who the fuck is the Godfather? Godfather? Who did Jordan Maxwell say? Maxwell say the Godfather is, huh? It's, it's very simple. Nothing has changed. They've just tricked us with their movies <laughs> and the shows. This is <clears throat> by stories. <laughs> That's why the Oscars are so important. Cause you got these fucking. <sighs> In being exempt from reliance on having to earn foreign money in order to conduct its military policy, the United States enjoys a fortunate monetary position akin to that of classical Athens described in Chapter 3. Athens was able to build expensive trireme ships, hire mercenaries, and support military allies with silver owls minted from its own silver mines at Lorion. <coughs> The owls was in quotations. 
The U.S. Treasury does not have to produce or sell silver or gold, but can simply print dollars as paper gold Treasury IOUs to spend abroad. <coughs> Unlike the foreign debt of other countries, nobody expects the United States to pay off its IOUs. In fact, official U.S. dollar debts have virtually no likelihood of being paid off. Let me read that again. In fact, Official U.S. dollar debts have virtually no likelihood of being paid off. <coughs> what does debt, what does sin mean? <laughs> Fuck. What does the word sin mean? It means debt. Who can forgive your sins? Who can pardon your sins here on earth? Who? Nobody but the Holy Father, the God Father. What did the Pope tell the knights for his on his crusades who, who who would send them out on his crusades? What was the crusades? It was basically go steal as much shit you can, bring it back here. And I will make make sure God will personally forgive your sins, your debts. These motherfuckers. In fact, official US dollar debts have virtually no likelihood of being paid off. In God we trust. They got us by the balls. <laughs> they got us by the balls. They got our stories by the balls. They got our money by the balls. Our religion by the balls. They got everything by the balls. <laughs> they got all the balls, man. In fact, okay. <clears throat> In fact, official U.S. dollar debts have virtually no likelihood of being paid off. Oh my goodness. That indeed is what makes the United States so exceptional. <laughs> that indeed is what makes the United States so exceptional. The United States has now enjoyed this self-financing, unconstrained, free lunch for the past 50 years. 50 fucking years. We loved getting fucked. However, in the face of growing foreign disagreement with the aims of dollar diplomacy, a rising number of countries are seeking to break free and de-dollarize their economies to stop funding the U.S. military encirclement of their territory and to limit the ability of U.S. investors to buy up their most profitable industries and natural resources. <coughs> Intergovernmental imperialism contrasted with private sector imperialism. Basically, the state, the fatherland, are owned by the same thing, the lords. The, the lords, the merchants, the fucking businessmen, whatever the fuck you want to call them. It's the same character, they're just wearing different masks. Okay? This is how it works. Cities are owned by certain families, properties, for generations. Cities are basically like the marketplaces for where all commerce can take place. And the motherfucker that owns the land for the marketplace is God in that city. So then you scale it up to a whole fucking nation. Then you scale it up to a bunch of nations. It's it's
it's the same fucking story. Cain and Abel. Cain went and built city, a city, cities. It's this is where the division starts. Cities. Once you build, have built a city, now you have religion. Religion is the official version of official version of the story that the lords of the city have written for the citizens. Okay. Versus if you don't live in the city, <laughs> you live out in nature or whatever. Uh, you have no lord or nothing. You don't have to pay no property tax or nothing it's like you're basically free living off the land okay <clears throat> as you know nature intended so then what type of mindset religion blah 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 do you have you you're like oh what's what's religion so it's like this is what i'm saying stories it's all to do with ownership the fatherland patriarchy the Bible, religion, state ownership, property, land, property rights, blah, 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 law. It's all got to do with the patriarchy, the fatherland. And that is exactly what you are seeing in America right now. I mean, Roe versus Wade just got overturn overturned people <laughs> in America. <laughs> of all places in America. What now? What now are the feminists going to say? Huh? America is a, is. <laughs> what are they gonna say, man? This is what I'm saying. What there's nothing new under the sun, man. The so, the Pope needs more soldiers for Christ. So the boom, there is okay. Intergovernmental imperialism contrasted with private sector imperialism. Prior to World War One, government intervention in foreign lands followed the path of private trade and investment. Churches don't pay no taxes. Churches are tax-free, man. Why is that the case, huh? Jesus H. Christ was a horse. You gotta control these motherfuckers somehow. Well, I know a way I can control them. I will use a story where they will project themselves on the main character. And the main character is nothing but a symbol of their mind. Nothing but a symbol of the human mind. So if I set up the story a certain way... And make it believable with all the fucking, you know, latest gadgetry. Then boom, there you go. Now you have set up a story where this person, individual, thinks the char their character has to act a certain way, play a certain way, talk a certain way, blah, blah, blah. There you go. That's, <laughs> okay. And how did they come up with all this stuff, these techniques and all this shit? By taming animals. I mean, <laughs> we are animals. Language is Maya. Private capital took the initiative. Government policy followed. Okay, now, governments used force to seize lands rich in minerals, tropical crops, and other raw materials, and to expand the interests of their nationals in these areas. Private capital took the initiative, government policy followed. Just think of the corporate elite, 1%, corporations, whatever, rulers, owners of this world. Just look at them as the wolves. <laughs> and the rest of us are either piggies or sheep or goat or whatever. It's, I don't know, you could choose whatever you want. But basically, they go take whatever the fuck they want. 
But the debt settlements imposed in the wake of World War I saw intergovernmental debts far exceed the value of private foreign investment and governments to have strategic objectives quite distinct from those of private invest investors. Government demands for payment crowded out private investment opportunities. And for the first time in modern, modern history, international finance became dominated by a single government. The U.S. government emerged as the overwhelming world creditor, mainly to its allies for their arms debts incurred prior to U.S. entry into the war. Its, its monetary claims far overshadowed private loans and investments. So by not forgiving um, debts, sins, and owning and having all these military military bases all around the world, this is how you have a Joffrey, King Joffrey type of character holding back progress for over 50 years for the rest of the world. This is how it's done. This is how it's done. We had a Joffrey type character Running the show for at least the last 50 years. Holding back progress and light and enlightenment and whatever the fuck you want to call it from the rest of the world. That's the story. That's the picture that's coming out. That's the type of picture that seems to be forming. The priority of government over private interests was, was assumed to be natural, and hence that debt payments to the U.S. government, and that debt payments to the U.S. government should take precedence over private sector concerns. This view was held even to the point of imposing unemployment and the Great Depression, setting the stage for World War II. The world sacrificed its growth and stability by agreeing to satisfy the demands of public as well as private creditors so large that debtor countries could pay only by subjecting their economies to austerity. Get yoked horsey. Matthew 11.30 Jesus H. Christ was a horse. The, Roman, the Holy Roman Catholic Empire... People, wake up. Do not let them in your country. They will mentally cook you. That's how they do it with religion. Then they'll say, give all your money to God, which is basically the church, the Godfather. It's, it's, a, it's a Ponzi scheme, man. It's the oldest fucking Ponzi scheme. Do not fall for that bullshit. Okay. The world sacrificed its growth and stability by agreeing to satisfy the demands of public as well as private creditors so large that debtor countries could pay only by subjecting their economies to austerity. Putin's bumping up the gas price is because of Putin. Blame anything except the... Motherfuckers are doing all this. Foreign governments siphoned off economic surpluses to pay debts to the U.S. government. It's just, it's just the bully has still been stealing all our lunch money. That's all.
that's the simplest version of the story is the bully is still taking all our lunch money because we're all cucks. No writer had anticipated that the main destabilizing and exploitative factor would be government, not private capital. During the war, Lenin's imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism, had anticipated that private capital and its growing concentration would, would become the major cause of future conflict. To many observers, the main hope for world peace seemed to be intergovernmental corporation to restrain commercial and financial rivalries. Within the emerging post-war finance capitalism, however, private and government policies were indeed at cross-purposes. The overriding concern of U.S. diplomacy was for its own world power, even to the point of disrupting prosperity and hence the profits of its bankers and investors. That is why President Herbert Hoover's 1931 announcement of a moratorium on U.S. inter-allied debt demands and German reparations made stock markets jump throughout the world. Debt relief suspending intergovernmental claims restored foreign exchange sta stability more than repaying the United States for the loss of the nominal $250 million in for foregone debt service. Wall Street bankers wanted the government's creditor claims out of the way so as to leave room for a renewal of private credit. A conflict broke out on the eve of the 1933 London Economic Conference as incoming President Franklin Roosevelt re replaced Hoover, who, along with Republican Treasury Secretary Ogden Mills, supported the Eastern banking interests. Led by Morgan partner Russell Leffingwell and Wall Street internationalists tried to promote Norman Davis, a State Department Democrat, to a position of influence, but Roosevelt's advisor, Raymond Moley, expressed his mistrust, writing that Davis wanted to get the debts out of the way to facilitate reviving private lending to Europe. Roosevelt rejected David's, Davis's advice. The U.S. aim was to subordinate foreign interests to those of its government's creditor claims while escalating America's protective tariffs and quotas. Critics complained that the Roosevelt administration's America First policy was rejecting world leadership and even world recovery by blocking debtor countries from earning the dollars to pay by exporting more to the United States. But Roosevelt and his advisors did not want an altruistic internationalist leadership that would have rehabilitated British, French, and other governments and their economies to act as equals of America. Why have equals when you can have subordinates? In the U.S. view, freeing Europe from having to pay its war debts to the United States would simply leave its governments with more money to rearm and threaten the world once more with war. Do you see what happens? Do you see what's going on with Ukraine and all this shit? Just another fucking democracy summit. It's for democracy because these other countries don't agree with us. It's for democracy. Fucking amen. Like, we are dumb fucks on the playground. <laughs> Still... Dealing with the same bullshit story. Nothing has changed. 
War did occur, of course, and the U.S. government organized the aftermath to gain an even stronger position vis-à-vis vis Europe and Japan. In 1944-45, it moved to absorb the Sterling and Franc areas into its own dollar-centered financial system. In the U.S. nationalistic view, no other country or grouping of countries should be in a position to dictate economic or foreign policy to the United States. Insisting on retaining unilateral national autonomy, U.S. diplomats did not want to create a grouping of equal nations. They wanted America's own unipolar dominance and have sought that goal ever since. My dick is the biggest dick, okay? Nobody else's dick but mine. That's the story, man. We are, we are worse than middle school kids, man. Modern middle school kids are way... More mature than what these motherfuckers... Man, man, look at the fuckers who are in charge. Do you see how old these motherfuckers are? <laughs> they haven't even come to the with terms with their fucking morality. And they still want to make more money. Money, money. These motherfuckers are old and dying. It's like they can't even take this shit with them. And they still just want more money, money, money. They'll do anything for money. The biggest sluts, fucking biggest hoes are not prostitutes or the. It's, it's men. It's businessmen. <laughs> it's businessmen are the biggest hoes and the biggest sluts who will sell off their nations and futures of their kids because they are huge sluts for money, power, ego. Just stroking their dick. What's the difference, man? Fucking. Just useless monkeys. Insisting on retaining unilateral national autonomy, U.S. diplomats did not want to create a grouping of equal nations. They wanted America's own unipolar dominance and have sought that goal ever since. Setting to work, who's immature then? Who's the fucker who's immature then? Going around fucking telling, telling other people what to do. My goodness, man. Setting to work on global planning in the closing years of World War II, U.S. officials once again used the government's creditor power as a lever to shape post-war diplomacy. With the Axis powers vanquished, it was now time for the United States to subdue its allies. But instead of seeking direct repayment of its wartime loans, which would have repeated the post-World War I debt tangle, U.S. officials set about to conquer America's allies in a more enlightened manner, demanding concessions of a commercial and political nature, above all, to open foreign markets to U.S. exporters and investors. Viewing British imperial interests in particular as being antithetical to those of the United States, the first post-war objective was for the dollar to replace sterling as the world's leading currency and, indeed, as the basis of the global monetary system. America's creditor power remained its key leverage. Early in the war, Treasury Secretary Henry Morgenthau Jr. started putting pressure on the British to sell off their big American companies, Shell Oil, Lever Brothers, and Brown and Williamson Tobacco. On January 28, 1941, the Senate Foreign Relations Commit Committee reported that if Lord and Lady Astor owned real estate in New York 
in New York, their assets will be on the auction block with the rest. Lend, lease, and Bretton Woods, blocking alternatives to U.S. economic dominance. The first fight was over America's lend-lease loans to finance Britain's war effort. The basic principle of lend-lease was free trade. Called multilateralism, it was nationalistic from the U.S. vantage point, calling for a strict commitment to non-discriminatory discriminatory foreign trade and the end of British Empire preference, the preferential tariff arrangements between Britain and its colonies and former colonies within the British Commonwealth. Ending that protectionist system opened up British and European colonial raw materials resources and import markets to all comers naturally led by the United States, whereas Britain had opened up China by force, America opened up Britain and its empire by a your money or your life offer at a time of British wartime neediness. Your money or your life. There's only two kinds of people in this world, my friends. Those with guns and those who dig. <laughs> you dig, my friend. <laughs> your money or your life offer at a time of British wartime neediness. Par paragraph 2 of Article 7. The Lend-Lease Agreement called for the elimination of all forms of discriminatory treatment in international commerce. So commerce means sex. So basically international getting fucked. And the reduction of tariff and other trade barriers. When Keynes was handed a draft of Article 7 of the Lend-Lease Agreement on July 28, 1941, he noted that it said nothing at all about the essential counterparts in American policy, the lowering of tariffs, and the avoidance of a serious post-war depression. Harry Truman, then head of the Senate's War Investigating Committee, demanded in November 1943 that when it came time for repayment of Lend-Lease and other American credits to Britain, if Britain cannot pay us dollars for petroleum needed by her and cannot, by reason of a shipping shortage or other situation, procure, procure the petroleum she needs from the petroleum resources she controls in Asia. Petroleum means gas, okay? Diesel, fuel, petroleum. Not, not diesel, but petroleum means gasoline. Asia, South America, and the, Deech, and the, and the Dutch East Indies. Consideration should be given as to whether she might not pay for the petroleum obtained from us by transferring to us her ownership of an equivalent value of foreign petroleum reserves or of the English-held securities of the corporations having title to such reserves. Basically, give us all your gas, bitch. That's basically what they said. The U.S. government insisted that Lend-Lease support stop with the end of hostilities, and by 1945, its Lend-Lease claims on Britain amounted to $20 billion. U.S. negotiators set the stage for the $3.75 billion British loan of 1946 by terminating Lend-Lease to Britain upon the declaration of peace ending the war. That threatened its economy with in insolvency, leaving Britain with little alternative but to agree to the terms of the loan, 
which served as a lever to pry open Britain's empire preference system with its nearly 10 billion in blocked sterling wartime accounts accumulated by India, Egypt, Argentina, and other countries by the end of 1944. It's such a tale of what goes around comes around, isn't it? <laughs> it's, these, or it's more, more of like a, it's, it's more like the, the Dark Knight, the Joker plan where each one of his goons would kill the one in front of him until at the end it was just the Joker and he pulled the trigger for the last dummy and he took all the money and that's basically what that basically looks like what America's been trying to do these sterling bounce and then all the billionaires fuck off to Mars basically that's basically the plan I guess these sterling bounces debts owed by Britain to sterling area countries for supplies they had provided during the war were restricted to be spent on British exports. It is natural for the economic theory and diplomacy for of every country to reflect its immediate situation and self-interest, and the rules and the rules that U.S. diplomats drew up for the International Monetary Fund (IMF), which Britain was required to join as a condition of the British loan sought to free these sterling balances to be spent on foreign, largely U.S. Exp exports. From the American vantage point, access to foreign markets was deemed to be a precondition for achieving full employment at home, but U.S. exports would be constrained if foreign countries were permitted to insulate their economies to promote their own growth. To prevent them from enacting protective tariffs, quotas, or financial barriers such as competitive devaluation, multiple exchange rates, bilateral clearing agreements, or blocked currency practices beyond a brief transition period, the United States took the lead in forming the IMF to ensure a post-war system of fixed currency parties. Yeah, America created the game and wrote the rules. Britain and other countries receiving U.S. IMF or World Bank aid, which was an added incentive for countries to join the fund. <laughs> Here, come join our club to get uh, in debt. We're obliged to relinquish concepts of self-sufficiency and reject a return to protectionist policies and controls. Yeah, they... To obliged, were obliged to relinquish concepts of self-sufficiency. Yeah, this is why they want you to get yoked on a God, on a Savior, because you cannot be self-sufficient. You cannot. You cannot be a self-sufficient human ad adult. You have to be, <laughs> you have to be yoked. Everything comes from the Lord, the God. Father. Okay. Uh, any nation wishing to join the bank had to agree to join the fund and to service all its outstanding and future official government and government guaranteed debt to foreign creditors. The fund was to be financed by member country subscriptions in their own currencies with voting rights proportional to their subscription quota. Subscription meaning how much money they give. The United States had the largest vote, giving it veto power on the logic that its dollars were expected to be the most in demand by war-torn countries. Yeah, because uh, 
because you can eat the dollar bill, right? The terms of the British loan precluded Britain from devaluing the pound sterling until 1949, keeping it overvalued and forcing Britain's balance of payments into deepening deficit. It also prevented sterling area reserves, including the sterling balances, from being spent on British and British Empire goods. Sterling became a satellite currency of the U.S. dollar, reversing the situation that had existed in the 9th century. Keynes saw that the U.S. plans for an open international economy sacrificed domestic employment to free trade and the gold standard, locking Britain into a high exchange rate that required it to impose domestic austerity to prevent spending on imports. By surrendering to these terms, Britain joined the United States in a united front vis-a-vis continental Europe to negotiate the operational philosophy of the Bretton Woods institutions and the proposed international trade organization. Then the developed nations as a group, having accepted the U.S. terms in the face of their own economic duress, confronted the less developed countries with a fate accompli. That opened war-devastated markets to U.S. exports and established the post-war offer order for most of the world on principles locking in U.S. leadership and domination. U.S. opposition to international money independent of the dollar and U.S. gold. Yeah, so people who wanted to be, who said, man, I don't like this game. I want to play a different game. They're like, nope, kill them. You can't do that. You have to play this game. Okay. As UK Treasury representative, rep, as UK Treasury representative, Keynes went to the 1944 Bretton Woods Conference with a plan for an international clearing union to settle multilateral payments by putting pressure for adjustment on creditor economies, mainly the United States not deficit economies such as Britain. His plan was for the IMF to issue a fiat international currency, the Bancor, to finance balance of payments deficits. The clearing union would provide credit to help countries invest in productive economic expansion. Unlike the U.S. plan for a fund of dollars and other national currencies, Keynes's plan did not require governments to pay their subscriptions in their own currency. The banker was to be a blanket overdraft facility. International payments would be affected by the clearing union debiting the payment, debiting the paying country, and crediting the receiving country. Most important, Keynes sought a scarce currency clause. Its basic philosophy was that creditor nations had an, had an obligation to make debts payable by importing goods from the debtor countries. If the balance of payments of creditor nations became unmanageably high, these credits might be cancelled altogether, freeing the deficit countries from obligations that had become unpayable. That would prevent creditor nations from monopolizing the world's money. But such a financial monopoly was precisely what U.S. officials desired. By 
by providing new dollar credits to supplement Europe's depleted gold reserves, America enabled the metal to be maintained as the basis of international finance instead of the managed paper credit standard that Keynes proposed. The dollar was made as good as gold, convertible into the metal at the rate of $35 an ounce under the gold dollar exchange standard. U.S. policy thus was determined to ensure that no alternatives to the dollar and its own near monopoly of gold holdings emerged. Europe, running balance of payments deficits, lost gold rapidly to the U.S. Treasury, which increased its holdings steadily. When the war ended in 1945, it held about $20 billion, accounting for 59% of world gold reserves. U.S. holdings rose by $4.3 billion by 1948, and by 1949, its gold stock reached an all-time high of $24.8 billion, reflecting an inflow of nearly $5 billion since the end of the war. Neither, neither the world, world Bank's reconstruction loans nor the IMF's balance of payments st stabili st stabilization loans were sufficient to meet the financial needs of European recovery. France lost 60% of its gold and foreign exchange reserves during 1946-47, and Sweden's reserves fell by 75%. The effect was to concentrate in U.S. government hands most of the major decisions as to how much, to which countries, and on what conditions international loans would be extended. Man, this chapter is fucking... Okay. Foreign wars pushed the U.S. balance of payments into deficit. From outbreak of the Korean War in 1950 onwards, the U.S. balance of payments moved steadily into deficit. The private sector's trade and investment were in close balance, and U.S. foreign aid was tied to the purchase of U.S. exports and so actually produced a payments inflow. The deficit resulted entirely from U.S. military spending. Europe and other countries initially welcomed the net outflow of dollars. It helped them increase their international reserves and afford pro-growth policies. As the U.S. deficit widened, Europe and other countries began to rebuild their gold stocks. That freed them from pressures to prevent their exchange rates from declining by slowing down their economies in order to limit imports. By the 1960s, the Vietnam War and related U.S. military spending in Asia made U.S. gold losses serious. Every Friday, the Federal Reserve Board published statistics on the gold cover. The degree to which paper U.S. currency was backed by the Treasury's monetary gold stock. U.S. law required at least 25% gold cover. The gold drain was reducing this legal gold cover toward the point where insufficient bullion would remain available to pay foreign countries turning in their surplus dollars for gold. General de Gaulle was most vocal in cashing in the surplus dollars flowing into France from its banks in Vietnam, Laos, and other former French colonies where there were few U.S. banks. 
Chase Manhattan was asked to help solve this problem by setting up a branch in Saigon, which was built like a fortress. That was not a business decision, but a show of patriotism by David Rockefeller. He had taken over the bank from George Champion, who had been one of the most outspoken critics of the Vietnam War and its associated military spending, accusing it of not being fiscally responsible. Political support for U.S. military policy did not come from Wall Street, but from the labor movement and Cold War advocates of the national security state. In Europe, large anti-American demonstrations were organized in response to the atrocities reported from the war. I mean, literally, legit, if you look at what is going on right now, America is planning on basically devouring Russia and China and take their take their resources basically that's basically what's going going on matters reached crisis proportions by january 1965 when president lyndon johnson announced a set of voluntary balance of payments controls u.s banks and companies were told not to increase their total foreign loans or investments by more than five percent during the coming year that disrupted business plans. Banks make their profits by increasing their lending, and that was limited. The oil industry also was strongly affected, fearing that foreign rivals would gain an edge in new investment. The war in Southeast Asia was conducted with almost no understanding of how it affected the U.S. business sector. Companies pointed out that much of what was reported as foreign investment did not really constitute a balance of payments outflow. When oil companies or airlines or manufacturing firms moved U.S. equipment and machinery or lent dollars to their foreign branches or affiliates to pay U.S. management, interest charges and other expenses, including for imports of U.S. equipment, these dollars never really left the U.S. economy. The trade and GDP figures reported trade and investment as if it were all paid in cash rather than being largely balance sheet entries with little actual outflow after accounting for countervailing exports of U.S. goods and services. As a result of industry lobbying to explain these facts of international life to Congress, the oil industry was made exempt from the Johnson Voluntary Program. Hmm, there will be blood. Good movie. But banks and civilian industry suffered. American business continued to be boxed in by the financial effect of U.S. military policy. Interest rates rose, and after public opposition to the war forced President Johnson to announce in 1968 that he would not run again for office, the Democrats lost overwhelmingly to Richard Nixon, who promised a plan to end the war. However, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger persuaded Nixon to extend the war to Laos and Cambodia, hoping to bomb the enemy to the peace table. As the U.S. military buildup escalated, other countries stepped up their gold purchases. Germany kept pace with France in turning in its excess dollars, although without the public verbal confrontation expressed by the Gaullists. Felix and Asterix. Asterix and Felix, right? 
U.S. tactics to create a free lunch to finance its military payments deficit. By the late 1960s, U.S. diplomats revived Keynes's idea for the IMF to create a fiat banker, B-A-N-C-O-R, banker, banser, proposing special drawing rights, SDRs. The idea was to give member countries overdraft, overdraft facilities in proportion to their IMF quotas. SDRs would enable the United States to use the IMF as a means of financing its international military spending responsible for its balance of payments deficits. The difference was that Keynes's plan aimed at financing economic recovery and expansion of Europe's economies to create means of production, not military spending to destroy it in countries deemed to be U.S. adversaries. Understandably, foreign countries balked. Finally, by August 1971, it became apparent that the price for continuing U.S. military war-making was for the Treasury to either lose its shrinking gold stock or cut the dollar loose from gold. President Nixon chose to stop supplying Treasury gold to the London gold pool to hold down the gold price, which quickly soared. That effectively ended the dollar's convertibility into gold at $35 an ounce. Many politicians worried that this would mean the end of America's diplomatic leverage over the world's financial system. Ever since World War I, the United States had dominated world diplomacy by its creditor position, monopolizing most of the world's gold and therefore the global monetary base. You see, they started World War I and II, these fucking capitalist, corporational, family legacies that that have been fucking basically just fucking the whole world for their own for their own benefit man like the whole world world war world wars man one two fucking hey man other what what they care about you man fucking bullshit other countries suffering gold outflows had to impose austerity Hard money economists forecast that continuing to run a balance of payments deficit would drive the dollar down and cause inflation. Hmm. Isn't that the word they're using right now? And indeed, Treasury Secretary John Connolly started the decline by depreciating the dollar's exchange rate by 5% at the same time that he stopped gold sales. When that reduced Europe's valuation of its dollar reserves as measured in its nation's own domestic currencies, Connolly quipped to Europeans, it's our dollar, but your problem. However, what followed the 1971 delinking of the dollar from gold turned out to be quite unanticipated. It opened the way for a new form of dollar hegemony, one based on America's leverage as the world's major monetary debtor. The dilemma that America's dollar diplomacy poses for foreign central banks. Central banks had little option regarding what to do with the surplus dollars being pumped into the world monetary system by U.S. military spending and investment buyouts of foreign companies. 
Central banks did not buy stocks, and they were not going to buy U.S. companies or real estate, as sovereign wealth funds had not yet come into being. So the great question was how Europe and other economies would cope with the glut of new dollars now that they no longer were able to cash them in for gold. <laughs> Too bad Bitcoin wasn't around right then during that time. Until quite recently, what central banks have bought have bought usually has been limited to the bonds of other governments. The only major supply of such securities in the 1970s and indeed down to fairly recent times were US Treasury bonds and IOUs. Yeah, basically they're promised to pay bullshit. Yeah, basically it's like, yeah, you got fucked, you got fucked, you got fucked, get some more fucked. That's basically what they said. <laughs> so that is what foreign central banks bought with their surplus dollars. In the absence of the gold standard, the world moved on to a U.S. Treasury IOU standard. <laughs> Basically, when humanity, when the rest of the world were forced to go full retard, you never go full. Okay, here is the problem that foreign economies faced. If their central banks did not recycle their dollar inflows into the U.S. economy by buying U.S. Treasury securities, their exchange rates would rise against the dollar. That would raise the price of their exports to dollar area economies. To prevent the dollar glut from giving dollar area exports a price advantage, nations receiving a surplus of these dollars used them to buy treasury securities supporting the dollar's exchange rate. Pretty smart. This recycling meant that contrary to usual experience, America's largely military balance of payments deficit helped finance the domestic budget deficit. Both deficits stemmed largely from spending on the military-industrial complex. Rome. We are all Romans. Now row, row, row your boat. Gently down. <laughs> okay, this was a new kind of international circular flow, the Ouroboros, and it tended to lock in foreign central banks. The more U.S. securities they bought, the more they stood to lose. <laughs> As measured in their own domestic currencies, if the dollar depreciated, U.S. officials in. Okay. If the dollar depreciated, U.S. officials encouraged recycling by inviting central banks to buy, to buy U.S. stocks and private sector bonds as well as treasury securities, but not majority ownership of leading U.S. companies. Only the United States, as the world's exceptional nation, could do this to other economies, subject to occasional nationalistic pushback abroad. American demands that foreign countries recycle their dollar inflows into U.S. bond markets became explicit by late 1973 and early 74 when OPEC oil producers responded, responded to the quadrupling of U.S. grain prices by quadrupling their oil prices so as not to lose purchasing power. 
State Department officials told their counterparts in Saudi Arabia and other Arab oil-producing countries that they would agree not to oppose the price increase as long as these countries agreed to recycle their surplus dollar inflows to U.S. financial markets. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> the endless incestual loophole Ouroboros. The whole point is as long as you hold the dollar, the system works. So they will change this, that, name something different, give it a different title, repackage, blah, blah, blah. As long as you hold the dollar, the system stands. Okay. Failure to do what, failure to do that would be an act of war. I was invited to a number of White House and Defense Department meetings where officials elaborated the details of this agreement. U.S. dollar outflows ended up in the oil exporting countries and Europe and were returned to the, to the United States as liquid financial investments in corporate stocks and bonds, treasury securities, and an unprecedented inflow into U.S. commercial banks. Much of this inflow was lent to third world countries to pay for their increasingly costly grain and oil imports as well as to pay debt service on their mounting foreign debts incurred to finance their own balance of payments deficits. The Washington Consensus aims to create an international rentier economy. The, if you, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the Vatican, the city of Vatican, Vatican City, and Washington City, the district, Washington, D.C., Washington City, are like basically the same thing, man. Isn't that interesting? I just thought it was interesting because, uh, I don't know, kind of makes sense. Even Mr. Jordan Maxwell tells us in all his uh, interviews who's really in charge. The Godfather, even Noam Chomsky's telling the same thing. U.S. officials definitely played both sides of the merging creditor and, de and debtor diplomacy while using the new debtor-based dollar diplomacy against trade surplus nations. They took a pro-creditor position when dealing with third world countries and others running balance of payment deficits. The post-1980 Washington consensus called for the IMF and bondholders to impose austerity on these countries, forcing privatization, sell-offs, and an ongoing devaluation of their currencies, and hence depreciation of the price of their labor. The effect was as destructive and predatory as overt European colonialism had been. Much as European imperialism had turned colonies and dependencies into trade and monetary satellites, grabbing the natural resources and rent-extracting monopolies for Europe's own investors, the neoliberal Washington consensus-guiding IMF policy has had a similar effect. The foreign currency debt overhead of third world and other payments deficit countries block their ability to develop industrial capitalism along the lines followed by the United States and Western Europe. The Washington consensus turns these countries 
into rentier economies as well as financializing the advanced Western economies in which wealth also is obtained increasingly by rent extraction. I mean, it's it's the oldest subscription service story play plan. It's, it's nothing new, man. It's the oldest. It's just telling a story and then making getting a free lunch is 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 how the leech or the parasite basically tricks the mind into letting it stay on the body live on the body and drain the host except now this joffrey country is doing this to the whole world it became a giant fucking leech Worm, Ouroboros, whatever you want to fucking call it. All it does is eat shit. And take shit. And destroy shit. And then leave behind behind it just ruin. Just keeps eating. Alright. The foreign currency debt overhead of third world and other payments deficit countries blocks their ability to develop industrial capitalism along the lines followed by the United States and Western Europe. The Washington Consensus turns these countries into rentier economies as well as financializing the advanced Western economies in which wealth also is obtained increasingly by rent extraction. This is welcomed as ushering in a post-industrial society but it is precisely what classical economists from Adam Smith through John Stuart Mill, Marx, Alfred Marshall, and Thorstein Veblen hoped to avoid. In their mind, the dynamic of industrial capitalism was to free economies and markets from rent-seeking. Leviticus 3.16 All the fat is the Lord's. Eating fat doesn't make you fat. All the fat is the Lord's. The expectation was that wealthy nations would invest in less developed countries <laughs> and help them catch up, spreading democratic politics and public investment to modernize colonial and other less developed economies. But instead of helping these countries join the industrial economies, the effect of U.S. diplomacy and the Washington consensus has been to aggravate their inequality and impose dictatorships run by oppressive client oligarchies. This is not progress. It is a new form of backwardness, almost a retro retrogression back toward a feudal property-owning creditor class. Yeah. Women can't even get an abortion now, legally. From the Supreme Court of America. <laughs> Almost a retrogression back toward a feudal property-owning creditor class. So, let's say you can't get an abortion. You don't want the baby. You can maybe give it up for adoption. But, who at the end of the day owns that baby? If the mother now doesn't even have say over <laughs> her body, her choice, then who 
has the right over that property. Huh? It's the fatherland. The fatherland, the Bible, patriarchy, the Pope, the Godfather. It's the fatherland. The property-owning class. What has changed, motherfucker? Nothing has changed. Nothing has fucking changed. All they've done is educated us into learning other different perspectives of bullshit. But the story is still the same. The story is still the same, man. Reality's version, reality story is still the same. It's just that they've found all these other ways to distract us into just believing other bullshit. U.S. officials take a pro-creditor stance toward third-world debtor countries defending U.S. bondholders and foreign client elites holding their country's dollarized bonds. Vulture funds pick up what institutional bondholders sell off at pennies on the dollar, hoping to foreclose on whatever government assets they can grab. That has occurred most notoriously with Paul Singer's moves against Argentina. The 2020-2022 COVID-19 pandemic has slashed industrial production throughout the West, leaving little or no way for many third world debtors to pay their to pay their scheduled debt service. So we are back in the kind of Latin American debt crash that followed Mexico's announcement in 1982 that it could not pay its foreign debt. The result then was a secession of international lending, leading Argentina and Brazil to pay 45% annual interest on their dollar debt by 1990, owed mainly to their domestic oligarchies operating out of tax haven accounts, to be sure, and Mexico to pay over 22% on its medium-term dollar bonds. In the wake of the world economic slowdown resulting from the coronavirus, demand for raw materials and other exports has declined, creating new third world balance of payments deficits. So do you see, it's just, these people are just, uh, how can I put this, these people are just really... They don't have hearts, man, so there's no point trying to gain their sympathy. They have no hearts. It's nothing personal. It's just business. It's just business. Nothing personal, man. It's just... It's nothing personal. It's just business. It's just money. You know, it's just business. They don't have hearts. They don't have hearts. So stop trying to sympathize with them, stupid. They don't have hearts. Why the fuck are you trying to sympathize with something that doesn't have a heart? I mean, it's not going to understand. It can't relate. It, it doesn't have the means to relate. So how the fuck can it sympathize with you, stupid? So stop trying to sympathize with them. Okay. The question confronting today's indebted third world countries is whether they once again will be forced into austerity that prevents their economies from recovering. Will they be forced to privatize their natural resources and public enterprises for sale to payment surplus countries and U.S. investors? 
Such economic demands in the past could only be imposed by military conquest. Today, they are being imposed by financial conquest, just as destructive, taking into account the decline in population resulting from shortening lifespans, suicide rates, and emigration. Yeah, America, America, they're doing this to your own children. They put sugar in baby food, man. They put sugar in baby food, man. You, They don't give a fuck about you, man. And we're still here fucking saying this motherfucker will save America. This motherfucker will save... It's like, my God, man. This is, this, is why, this is what happens. This is what happens, man. <sighs> this, is, this is sad. That's all. This is sad. Okay, uh, decline in population, resulting from shortening lifespans, suicide rates, and immigration. All this shit is happening in America. The destruction is financial and intellectual, not military. Dollar diplomacy enables the... I mean, it's, it is a brilliant system to to control shit. Like, yes, for sure, okay, yeah, I'll give them that. But, uh, you know, it only benefits... <sighs> about the heart it always comes back to the human heart okay basically it's a story of uh, the Grinch or, or um, Ebenezer Scrooge these motherfuckers don't have hearts their hearts have shrunk they've died stone whatever our job is to make sure that heart starts pumping again and how do you do that I'll tell you the the quickest way to the heart is 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 uh, apparently music. Food is, you know, obviously you have to be alive to have these ideas. So yes, after that, but uh, apparently it's music because sound is consciousness, and we just need to find a way to to. Wake these people up from their obsession with just getting more money. <laughs> They'll die. All that will go to somebody else who God knows if they've, they're they going to be responsible or not. But point is, we just need to show them that there's something, there's more to do in life than to just collect more money. I mean... Think about it. If, if that's it, if that is it, if all you can do is just collect money <laughs> and collect shit and that is it, if that's the whole point and purpose of life, then you'd think these people are happy, right? Same old, same, we all heard the story, the story right? You'd think they'd be happy, right? All right. We create our own mental prisons, man, because we are monkeys. <laughs> that was taught language, and language creates Maya. Language 
creates Maya. Language creates the illusion that we're so and so in this story, and this is our life, and this is. It's all a fucking image movie playing in your head. You got the whole world spinning by a bunch of images. Okay. Such economic demands. Okay, so blah, blah, blah. The destruction is financial and intellectual, not military. Dollar diplomacy enables the United States to use the deadly monetary weapons of austerity and financial sanctions to gain economic control and to obtain the free lunch that goes with it. That is the international dynamic of frontier finance capitalism. Indebted countries cannot inflate their way out of debt because it is denominated mainly in dollars or other foreign currency which their central banks cannot print. Yeah, this is just the outward symptom manifestation of the inward problem is it's filled with the west is filled with its own fart its own hot air and that's why it cannot inflate their way out of debt because their whole foundation is built on bullshit the bible is a complete bullshit fabrication book and they say western judeo christian is is the foundation of the western civilization which is, 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 is backed by the Bible. Yeah, it's completely fictional and built on bullshit. All it is is, is is a bunch of stories put together to control the idea that Israel, which is strategically the geographic land of that connects Africa to Europe and Asia, Israel <laughs> happens to be <sighs> what am I gonna say, man? Like what am I gonna say, man? We we don't wanna admit our history. And so when we look at reality, it makes no sense. Because the lens we're viewing it from is complete bullshit. It's completely retarded. It's completely incestually retarded. Because you can only spin a lie in so many ways, man. It is Lies will make people retarded. You keep lying for generations, you will end up retarded. You cannot inflate, they cannot inflate their way out of debt because it is denominated mainly in dollars or other foreign currency which their central banks cannot print. They can create domestic currency but not the dollars and other hard currencies necessary to pay these foreign debts. Increasing domestic taxes will not help to pay their foreign currency debts because taxes are levied in local currency. This is what Keynes called the transfer problem in the 1920s when the European allies demanded 
that Germany wreck its economy to pay reparations. The pro-creditor assumption is that higher taxes will impoverish labor and business by enough to slow imports of consumer goods and capital goods. But this is only a cover story, an excuse to make debtor countries even more dependent on creditors. The reality is that poverty is never a way to grow. It only pays the looters and even in such cases only in the short run. Attempts to enforce Europe's unpayably high foreign debts after World War I were in vain. Keynes showed that unless the Allies would agree to buy German exports, there was no way that the Reichsbank could create or tax the dollars to pay. Yet today's IMF and U.S. foreign diplomacy follow this destructive hard money policy insisting that fiscal austerity along with asset sell-offs can pay foreign debt service the effect can only be to strip and impoverish debtor countries yeah this is the joffrey this is uh, robin hood the retarded king all they did was this is the lion king this is scar's kingdom they eat everything then Nothing's left. They fucked up all the, all the natural ecosystems. Yeah, cause uh, what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. You cannot outrun your own karma. You can't outrun your own karma. Okay. Um, the effect can only be, okay, chronic austerity is now also being imposed on Eurozone members, making the Euro a satellite currency of the dollar, limiting budget deficits to no more than 3% of Eurozone GDP prevents Euros from being issued in large enough amounts to rival the dollar as a vehicle for central bank reserves. This rule also prevents Eurozone members from Keynesian spending to revive their economies from stagnation. What do, what's, what do we have right now? Stagflation. They are making up words, pulling out of their ass. The result is a monetary straitjacket that limits social spending to promote economic growth. Probably national populations and living standard will have to drop substantially in order for voters to become aware that this limitation is needless and that austerity is not necessary. If European governments continue to refrain from creating their own money in more than marginal amounts and no other alternative currency block emerges, that will leave global money creation to American military spending and other U.S. balance of payments deficits ending up in the world's central banks. That is the essence of today's dollar standard, and the United States' almost unipolar dominance of global money creation. Do you see? And now, Russia and China are finally standing up together and saying, no, we don't want to be bullied. Now, so, what does America, with all their media companies, do around the world? They brainwash us dumb dummies, thinking... The ones who are actually, um, you know, 
fighting for a fair chance are the ones being labeled as the bad guy now. This is the level of just <laughs> the 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 drop in human critical thinking. This 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 is the level we're at, man. <sighs> man. That is the essence of today's dollar standard and the United States almost unipolar dominance of global money creation. Did you see the news article from, I think it was CNN itself, Prince Charles apparently received a whole briefcase or bag full of money from some Saudi prince or something. I mean, this is literally rush hour four. <laughs> this is literally rush hour four happening right now, man. My goodness. Today's contrast between nationalism and globalism is occurring in a completely different context from what it was in the 1940s and 50s when discussions were framed in the aftermath of World War II and when it seemed to be a good idea for Europe to integrate so as never again to suffer intra-European wars. Seven countries formed to create the European Common Market with a special focus on creating an its Common Agricultural Policy, CAP, to make itself independent of reliance on foreign, mainly U.S., food producers. The United States kept trying to break down the CAP and sponsored the creation of a rival European free trade area, EFTA, led by Britain, as usual, acting as a U.S. foreign policy proxy, and Scandinavia. The U.S. hope was that this free trade area would provide an alternative to progressive social democratic or socialist continental Europe. Today, the English-speaking and Scandinavian sphere is part of NATO's right-wing alliance. Yeah, that uh, cute little Prime Minister of Finland is uh, right-wing alliance, NATO's part of NATO's right-wing alliance. Now that NATO and the Eurozone have expanded, everything is the fatherland, the Pope, the Roman Catholic, Holy Roman Catholic Empire owns everything. Right-wing. The fascists are basically from Italy. Read the history. Now that NATO and the Eurozone have expanded eastward to include the Baltic states and Poland, the result has been to block the EU politicians in Brussels from following policies at odds with U.S. plans, particularly in relation to Russia, China, and other countries the United States treats as adversaries or potential trade rivals. The response by nations that are sanctioned or otherwise treated as antagonists to U.S. neoliberal policy is to revert to settling their balance of payment surpluses or deficits in ways that existed prior to the U.S. Treasury Bill standard. Yeah, and everyone's saying like, crush, crush, crush uh, Russia's economy, break it down. It's like, 
Did you see the fucking frenzy that was going on when America went full retard, drank all the Kool-Aid into just destroying Russia, not giving a fuck? Do you see now? This is what I'm saying. Everybody will wake up and realize how badly we all got had. And, you know, they're just laughing. They're running laps around us, just laughing their ass off. Like, look at these dumb fucks. Resisting dollar hegemony. Every economy needs foreign exchange reserves. Dollar reserves are U.S. debt, supplied mainly by U.S. military spending, Cold War diplomacy, and investment takeovers of foreign economies, headed by investment in natural resource, rent extraction, and monopoly rent opportunities that arise from privatizing public infrastructure. The problem for foreign countries is how to protect themselves from being flooded with dollar inflows stemming from U.S. military and investment takeovers for which they receive merely paper dollars. Yeah, they print it out of their ass. As noted above, Countries that do not approve of the combination of U.S. military policies and U.S. takeover of their economic assets face a dilemma. If they do not recycle their dollar inflows into U.S. capital markets, their currencies will rise, threatening to price their exports out of world markets. The path of least resistance taken by Russia, China, and some other payments surplus nations is to de-dollarize. One element of this policy is to revive gold as a means of settling balance of payments deficits. Gold is a pure asset, having no liability on the opposite side of the balance sheet, and hence does not fund the U.S. budget and payments deficits that finance dollar hegemony. Yeah, as long as we still hold the dollar, their system stands. It's fucking, it's the greatest Ponzi scheme, and we're still, okay, gold, okay, gold used to settle payments deficit is likely to be the smoothest route in any transition to an alternative currency block. For third world debtors, for third world debtor countries, the problem is how to avoid letting creditor demands destroy their economies in the way that German reparations and inter-ally arms debts destroyed Europe's economies in the 1920s. IMF and U.S. diplomacy offer only marginal palliatives such as low interest rates, slower amortization payments and simply lending countries enough to pay their scheduled debt service. But as the underlying debt volume keeps accumulating, debt write-downs are the only solution in the end. That requires a new principle of international law, stipulating that no country should be forced to destroy its economy to pay foreign creditors. That principle recognizes that pro-creditor laws are a tributary demand similar to an act of war. Ultimately, at issue are the criteria of nationhood as a modern corollary to the 1648 Treaty of Westphalia that ended Europe's bloody 30 years war. 
The treaty ruled that nations should not interfere in the government or internal politics of other nations. At issue is political and economic independence, whether to be in control of one's own destiny by preventing foreign interference in domestic affairs, or to be faced with today's financial market dilemma, your money or your life. U.S. financial diplomacy rejects the long-standing 1648 principle of international relations, replacing it with unilateral U.S. demands for controlling world trade and investment diplomacy, while refusing to join any international institution unless it has veto power to be exempt from any foreign control or censure over its own policies. That is why it refused to join the League of Nations after World War I and agreed to join the United Nations only on condition that it have veto power. Similar U.S. power was assured in 1944 over the World Bank and IMF by setting the U.S. quota high enough to veto any policy decision that U.S. representative representatives did not feel reflected U.S. national interests. That logic also led the United States not to join the world court. In a travesty of the traditional rules-based order, U.S. officials insist on their unilateral right to dictate the rules of other countries' domestic as well as foreign policies. Matters came to a head on March 18th 2021 when U.S. and Chinese officials confronted each other in Anchorage, Alaska. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in effect depicted U.S. sanctions, political meddling in other countries' elections, and military belligerents backing dictators, client oligarchies, and neoliberal kleptocracies as being the essence of the world's new rules-based order. In substance, he accused, these people can take your own shit and sell it back to you, man. Make a movie about it and, <laughs> and then have the fucker say, sell me this pen. In substance, he accused China's domestic policy of threatening this U.S.-centered neoliberal order by subsidizing its industry and refraining from privatization. The alternative to a rules-based order, he claimed, is a world in which might makes in which might makes right and winner takes all, and that would be a far more violent and unstable world. Oh really than what we have right now? There was no acknowledgement and which which part of the world are you talking about? There was no acknowledgement that the main purveyor of military confrontation, violence, and global rule-breaking and instability for decades has been the United States. China's representative repre, rep, repre, what? China's representative Yang Jiechi, a member of China's Communist Party Politburo, replied that a rules-based order imposed unilaterally by the United States in its own national interest was unacceptable. I don't think the overwhelming majority of countries in the world would recognize that the universal values advocated by the United States 
or that the opinion of the United States could represent international public opinion, and those countries would not recognize that the rules made by a small number of people would serve as the basis for the international order. Yang urged his audience to uphold the United Nations-centered order underpinned by international law, not what is advocated by a small number of countries of the so-called rules-based international order of U.S.-backed neoliberal principles. You know what the secret is? It's soft power. You have no idea. Movies. Food. Music. Just art. Like, just anything else except for fucking guns and weapons and missiles. Anything else. Soft power. Win them over with soft power. Do a better job. Make better movies. Make better clothes. Like, do a better job. That's how you win the hearts of people. In the first place anyways. Not by faking it. You actually do a good job. So that quality, the quality of your whatever, product, item, whatever, is just, it just, it's a testament to itself. You don't need no fucking advertising agency, man. If you create gold, what the fuck you need? All you need is light so you can see the little shimmer. (laughs) Make better shit. Okay. Referring to this China-U.S. exchange, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov backed China's position that the U.S. aim was not to create a common and symmetrical order, but to ensure its own unilateral dominance. U.S. diplomats, he stated, want to replace international law with their own rules, which have nothing in common with the supremacy of law globally on a universal scale. He noted that when he had complained to former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson about U.S. support for anti-Putin movements in Russia and the Ukraine Support Act, he told me that was totally different. I asked him why, and he said because we promoted authoritarianism and they spread democracy. That was it. Let me read that again. He noted that when he had complained to former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson about U.S. support for anti-Putin movements in Russia and the Ukraine Support Act, he told me that was totally different. I asked him why, and he said because we promoted authoritarianism and they spread democracy. That was it. In contrast to the U.S. insistence on non-interference in its own affairs, its diplomats insist that they have a right as the exceptional nation to dictate the policies of other nations, removing elected leaders who advocate political and economic policies that do not serve America's new Cold War aims. Also exceptional is America's insistence, voiced most proudly by President Rump, that the United States rump is a not C N O T not S E E C. He's a not C. Rump is an okay. Voice most proudly okay. That the United States must be the net gainer in any trade agreement. 
This demand for unipolar world domination rejects the traditional norms of equity and symmetry, prompting a reaction to create a more multipolar world economy. I mean, it's like, seriously, man, like, how do you expect to deal with these people? They're children. They're like, where the fuck are the adults, man? It's like dealing with children. Even children are smarter than this shit, man. U.S. diplomats like to describe their policies by sanctimonious biblical quotes. Yeah, they love the Bible. They love it because their godfather, Pope Damasus, ordered, had Jerome put together the books of the Bible, which is the Vulgate, ber- Vulgate version, from which, which is in Latin, from which all English versions come. Go read the Vulgate version of the Bible. It reads differently, man. It reads differently. These are just stories of how to control states. These are stories on how to control the fatherland, which is the state. Okay? There's nothing more. You use stories to... Okay. More appropriate is what the Christian father... Lactantius Lactantius wrote in the Divine Institutes describing the Roman Empire. His description might well describe that of the United States and indeed the inherent dynamic of today's finance capitalism. I mean, my goodness, Jordan Maxwell would have gotten along real great with Mr. Noam Chomsky and Dr. P, uh, Michael Hudson. I mean, like, if these three got together, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you got it right here. Okay. Description, well, okay, the inherent dynamic of today's finance capital. Okay, so this is what he says. In order to enslave the many, the greedy began to appropriate and accumulate the necessities of life and keep them tightly closed up so that they might keep these bounties for themselves. They did this not for humanity's sake, which was not in them at all, because they don't have hearts, but to rake up all things as products of their greed and avarice. In the name of justice, they made unfair and unjust laws to sanction their thefts and avarice against the power of the multitude. In this way, they availed as much by authority as by strength of arms or overt evil. My goodness, this is probably the most uh, honest Christian father. Okay, let me read that again. Let me let me read this. Okay, U.S. diplomats like to describe their policies by sanctimonious biblical quotes. I mean, just like. Just look at a world map, man. Israel, even Jordan Maxwell will tell you, Israel never existed. The state of Israel never existed. Jerusalem as a city did, but the state of Israel never existed. It's just about controlling trade flow. All trade trade flow out of Africa on land goes through that section, which is called Israel. That's all. You control trade flow, you control wealth. You control that, you control the destiny of a fucking nation 
U.S. diplomats like to describe their policies by sanctimonious biblical quotes. More appropriate is what the Christian father Lactantius, circa 250-325, wrote in the Divine Institutes describing the Roman Empire. His description might well describe that of the United States and indeed the inherent dynamic of today's finance capitalism. Okay. In order to enslave the many, the greedy began to appropriate and accumulate the necessities of life and keep them tightly closed up so that they might keep these bounties for themselves. They did this not for humanity's sake, which was not in them at all, but to rake up all things as products of their greed and avarice. In the name of justice, they made unfair and unjust laws to sanction their thefts and avarice against the power of the multitude. In this way, they availed as much by authority as by strength of arms or overt evil. Peace.